it's, I mean, it's going to be, I hate to put it this way because I don't want, I don't want people to be like, geez, but you know, it's going to be blood stains on people's shirts is the type of game that it is. I mean, Wisconsin, Penn State is always a physical, tough game. Hello and welcome into the Lion Slayer. I am your host, John Sauber, joined as always by Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how you doing today? I'm doing well as always. Just, you know, finally game week, right? We've right. been waiting for this all summer, really, since we started uh, doing the show again. You know, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what goes on, you know, how people kind of conduct themselves, all that other stuff. So I'm, it's going to be pretty fun. It's my first trip to Madison. Very excited about that. Uh, you know, I will never complain about cheese curds and the opportunity to eat more of them. But yeah, it, it should be it should be a fun week and should be a good game. I think both you and I have sort of projected that, but we'll get into our formal predictions later. Uh, first, there's some, you know, uh, some news and notes to discuss here, I think, especially after we're recording Tuesday night. Uh, James Franklin spoke earlier today. Uh, explained why they aren't releasing a depth chart, said that, you know, other programs were either not releasing them or uh, considering not releasing them. So they decided not to. Um, and then this year we found out that Illinois, Michigan, Michigan State, um, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio State, and Purdue um, either were not releasing it or were thinking about not releasing it. So it just didn't made, make sense for us to do it. That being said, he did mention a few few key spots on the roster uh, where he either said the guys that will be sharing reps there or, you know, said who would start at one spot, said who would be a backup at another. So we can get into those. And I think the first place to start uh, is with the most important position on the field. We all knew that Sean Clifford was starting, but and Franklin confirmed what or essentially confirmed, I should say. He didn't outwardly say it, but basically confirmed that. Taquan Roberson will be the number two uh, quarterback this year on the depth chart, said he's been getting 90% of the reps with the second unit. Uh, what are your thoughts on Roberson being the number two guy? I know this isn't surprising, so we don't have to spend too much time on this, but what are your thoughts on him being the number two guy heading into the year? Not too surprising, like you said. Um, I think, you know, based off of everything we've heard so far is that, I mean, when he, one thing that he, that jumped out to me was that he was just talking about how Taquan was able to, just throw the ball without turning the ball over in practice. And he was very efficient. Um, and once I heard that, I was like, well, you know, Bayou hasn't had much time to to kind of acclimate himself to the system. Roberson's been in it. Oh, well, I guess none of them have really been in it in terms of, uh, you know, just being a more experienced college quarterback and understanding how to conduct practices and things like that. You know, that, that helped his case a lot. And, um, you know, he's the number two guy. So it, it just made sense. Now, is he better than Clifford? Well, clearly not, because if he was, he would have taken over this position. So um, I think I think that's the kind of way that we have to look at that. Yeah, and, and I will say we we don't get a uh, an extended window uh, of viewing practice, right? Uh, we get 20 minutes every Wednesday, essentially. Uh, and you know this, every Wednesday I go straight to the quarterbacks. And watching these guys throw, you can see a lot of what Franklin's talking about, right? Roberson when he's sort of playing freely and knows what he's doing, uh, especially in the drills they run, he's, he's good. And, and he's, he's generally accurate and can, can put some zip on the ball. Um, but you're, you're also right in that he's not better than Clifford yet. And if he's not, then he doesn't, you know, deserve a chance to start just yet. 
Um, I thought it was interesting. Franklin mentioned that they want to get him more reps in games. Uh, I think there's an obvious scenario where that could play out against Villanova, but that's not for three weeks. So you're talking about if something happens to Sean Clifford in the meantime of these first three games, Roberson's going out there with no real experience. So um, you're, you're looking at September 25th against Villanova as your first real opportunity, unless Ball State just completely, you know, it just disappears on uh, the 11th. Uh, you're looking at Villanova as your first real chance to get Roberson in games. And I think that's concerning. You know, I, I think you want your backup quarterback to have some level of game reps. It doesn't have to be a ton, but you want them to be able to go out there and, and play reasonable football because they've done it before. Um, that's not going to be the case from an experience standpoint for Roberson. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, one of the other positions, uh, Franklin named a, a starter that, that you are obviously very familiar with and Curtis Jacobs. Uh, when it comes to Curtis Jacobs, and obviously Curtis playing as a, as a true freshman and, and really did some nice things for us, um, you know, was more of a rotational guy last year and now, you know, is going to be a starter for us. Uh, your first impressions on Jacobs being a starter, like I said, I think this is one we anticipated. Uh, I'm assuming he'll be starting with Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks, but how do you see his fit in this defense? I think he fits perfectly. I mean, like uh, Franklin said, playing that field line, linebacker position, you need safety skills. And of course, um, you know, he has those safety skills as a, as a former safety. Um, but, you know, if you need him to go after the pass, I mean, if you need, yeah, if, if you need him to go after the quarterback, he can still do it. If you need him to go and play coverage against a tight end, you know, he can go ahead and do it. He could do it against a uh, receiver at times. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, I think is the, that future hybrid defensive end slash outside linebacker slash safety. Even, I mean, that's the future of high, I mean, of football in general. Um, and if you can get a guy like that into your defense, I think it, um, you know, it helps you guard against those, uh, you know, those tweeners that I, I feel like that, you know, all levels of football is so many tweeners where you have tight ends that are receivers and, you know, receivers that are running backs and, and things like that. So I think this helps them out a ton, especially in a Big Ten where, you know, you have to face off against an Ohio State and you need guys that are athletic, but also big and strong too. Well, and the benefit they have is that he sees that in practice every single day, right? Uh, whether it's Brenton Strange or Theo Johnson, Curtis Jacobs is facing these guys that are, uh, well, in, in Strange's case, especially uh, he's a tweener at six foot two, uh, Theo Johnson is just a massive human being at six foot six, about 260 pounds. But still, he's facing those high level guys that you want them to be able to cover in space. Uh, you want him to be able to play man against a guy like that. Um, you know, you, you want him to be able to turn and run with running backs. And Jacobs is plenty athletic to do that. So he should fit in well with this group. Frankly, um, I, I would already say he's the second best linebacker in the group behind Brandon Smith. We'll see if that, you know, takes a step further even. Um, and he can get on get on Smith's level this year. Smith is sort of he didn't have a breakout necessarily last year, but he sort of had that pre breakout season, right, where you can see this coming that he's going to have a big year. Um, so I do think that Jacobs presents another really athletic option. And I think the interesting thing here is when they go to the four two five, right? When they bring five defensive backs on the field, they go into the nickel, they bring their star position. What linebacker comes off? And I'm guessing that's not going to be Smith or Jacobs. We don't know that for certain, but those guys are too good of athletes and too good in coverage to sit the bench in those situations. 
So I think it'll be interesting to see that, you know, if, if Jacobs and Smith are the two guys that stay out there because Ellis Brooks isn't as good laterally and he isn't as good of an athlete. So it, it would make sense to keep the two uh, guys with less experience out there. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, James Franklin in the past has just gone to guys that are more experienced uh, without much, I don't want to say without much reason, but, you know, even when, when fans and, you know, the media are sort of saying that, that someone else is a chance, Koa Farmer starting over Michael Parsons comes to mind. Um, but yeah, so, so we'll see how that plays out. I, I do think Ellis Brooks will still play plenty this year. The last position that Franklin mentioned was the left guard spot, which he said last Wednesday that they had four or five guys that were fighting for the starting spot along the offensive line uh, at left tackle. They already have Rashid Walker center, Mike Miranda, right guard, uh, juice Scruggs and right tackle Caden Wallace. So left guard spot was the only thing that was not settled. And he said it was down to four or five guys last week. Today, he comes out and says that Anthony Wigan at redshirt senior and Eric Wilson, a true senior who transferred in from Harvard this summer are the two guys that will be taking up most of the time there. Yeah, it'll be a rotation um, between right now, uh, Wigan and Wilson uh, will be the two guys that will probably rotate there. How do you feel? You know, we haven't seen these guys play a ton of snaps. We saw a little bit of Wilson. Uh, I went back and watched some games when he was at Harvard. Uh, clearly a very good athlete. But how do you feel about them going to, I, I don't want to say, you know, a, a split uh, you know, playing time because they're probably going to end up picking one of these guys if they're better than the other. But how do you feel about them sort of leaning on two guys for this one spot early? You know, as a as a person that <laughs> played left guard myself, I and I know it was high school and that's totally different. But, you know, with offense, I mean, with offensive line, when you have offensive linemen rotating in and out, you know, it, it doesn't I don't feel like that's conducive to gelling together. Um, I think offensive line is a as a gel position. It's not just as much you as it is, you know, other people, because you could play great and then someone else is, you know, making you play out of position or do things like that. And I think that when you don't have a guy to, that is just going to fit in there, I don't, I don't think that's conducive to helping the team, you know, only time will tell. I think, I think one of those guys will take the position over. We'll see though. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think in the long run, we see one of those two step up and take the spot. But I think I think you got it right there with the the gelling together and the chemistry of this because, as you well know, it it takes chemistry along the offensive line. You have to trust the guy next to you. Uh, you have to know that they're going to pick up their assignment. That if you know the D line runs a twist or a stunt, that they're not going to get lost and you know it's going to look like it's your fault to the general audience when uh, the quarterback gets blown up or the running back gets blown up in the backfield. Um, so you need to be able to trust that guy, and you know. We'll see what happens. Wigan has been here, obviously, in the past. Uh, he's been here for, I believe he's going in his third year at Penn State. Was not nearly as strong as he is now when he enrolled. Uh, you know, Penn State obviously has a great strength and conditioning program and got him to add strength and mass, and, and he's he's much bigger and much stronger. Uh, but he came in well-regarded, right? He came in as an offensive tackle, too, but, you know, didn't necessarily have the, the traits to stay out there. We'll see uh, just how likely it is that, that he's the one that overtakes Wilson, who was an all Ivy league guy in the preseason last year before the Ivy league canceled its season. Uh, so he's not without talent. So they, they should at least have good options, but I'm with you. I think, I think the need here should, should be to find one of the two and stick with them from here on out um, and not necessarily uh, go back and forth and not necessarily, uh, you know, keep rotating them in. You know, if they, 
if they bring in like a second group, maybe I think that's fine. But I, I think it would be uh, more beneficial in the long run to just stick with one of these guys and ride it out. That being said, Wisconsin's very good. Uh, and they have a very good front seven who's going to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So maybe you send them both out there and rotate them just to keep them fresh uh, on Saturday. But, but I, I would venture to guess that would change in the long run. Uh, and speaking of Wisconsin, this is a, a good time to then talk about this game Saturday because it is, I mean, I fully expect this to be a very good football game. Uh, and I think this is a very intriguing football game. So let's, let's look at the obvious thing, right? Where's the, what's the passing game going to look like? Is this going to be a changed offense? I'm putting you on the spot here. I think so. I mean, I like I've told everyone I was like one. I think the tight ends make such a big difference. Um, I think last year when you had Fryer Muth hurt um, and not only that, but you're throwing guys into the fire. I think that you're in such a different situation than you are this year. I think as time kind of went on, they got a little bit more. Um, you know, they work together a ton. I think that uh, one thing that we saw from Soraka's offense last season was that tight ends weren't used as much. And I don't know if that was just because of him or that was also because of the fact that, you know, tight ends were banged up last season. But I, I think that's going to be a huge key. And speaking of keys, Kevon Lee, right? I mean, as well as Noah Kane. Eight, as well as eight out of ten Lee. on that transition. Eight out of ten on the transition there. <laughs> I look at the running backs. I mean, they have five capable running backs. They have Love It, Lee. I mean, yeah, Kevon Lee, Devin Ford, Keziah Holmes, uh, Noah Kane. I mean, they have so many backs that I think all can do different things. I mean, that helps out a ton. I think maybe, <laughs> you know, and then when you look at wide receiver, I think with Keandre Lambert Smith, uh, Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson. That's a pretty solid group too. Um, I, th I think the biggest question is that offensive line. I mean, who's going to take over that spot starter position at left guard? Um, you know, and maybe we'll see something come from that, but I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I, I think that's probably the, the scariest part for them is their offensive line. I mean, if their offensive line plays like how it did at the beginning of the year last year, it's going to be curtains for them. Yeah. And, and that's, you could say that about a lot of position groups, quite frankly, but that's especially true with an offensive line that, um, you know, they haven't had great offensive lines under James Franklin. I don't think a lot of that is his fault or his staff's fault. Uh, when he first got here, of course, they were under the scholarship restrictions, made it very difficult to build a, a real offensive line. And then once they got it built, they, they've usually had, you know, at least decent offensive lines. I want to go back to what you said, though, ab about sort of this passing attack in the tight end game. I, I totally with you. They didn't use them enough last year. Kirk Sharaka hadn't used them in the past, so it wasn't too much of a surprise. But still, you would think with the talent they had, he would adjust. Uh, they, they didn't for whatever reason. They didn't use the tight ends all that much. And I think that is going to be uh, important that, Mike Yurcich gets those guys involved because he also hasn't used guys at tight end a ton in the passing game. But I think he, I would hope he's aware of the, and again would think that he's aware of the talent that he has in that room with Theo Johnson, with Brenton Strange, with Tyler Warren. They have a lot of guys that can play tight end at a really high level in the big 10. Um, and I think it would be a waste to, to sort of just make them inline blockers, make them, you know, use them as H-backs, yes. Use them as essentially a fullback, yes. But also get those guys out in space. 
allow them to operate in the passing game, allow them to be effective that way. Um, and, and if they can do that, that's going to open things up because the one position you mentioned too at wide receiver with, with Keandre Lambert Smith, he, he was the clear third guy last year. Right. And he was a clear starter, but he was at a different level than Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson. What I mean by that was those two guys were taking over games week in and week out and keeping them in games early in the season. Lambert Smith was not there. He looked frankly like a freshman and that's not a knock on him because he was a freshman and he was a freshman that came in during the start of a pandemic. Um, and you know, it was increasingly difficult for guys to get adjusted last year. And I don't blame him for that, but he, he does need to take a step forward this year. Uh, and I think it's interesting. Uh, two different people have mentioned this sort of mental block with him that, that he couldn't get over last year or, or is better at getting over this year. I should say uh, wide receivers coach, Taylor Stubblefield and Jahan Dotson, both mention that Lambert Smith is much more mature now because he doesn't worry about the last play. When he would make a mistake last year, uh, both of them said that he would sort of dwell on it and, and wouldn't be able to get past it and it would affect the next play. They said they've seen a different guy this year who is not dwelling on that anymore. He's moving forward. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's allowing the next rep to be the only rep in his mind and he's not worrying about any mistakes he's made in the past. So that is a, I mean, if, if they're saying it's that important for him, I'm, I'm sure it was a pretty big mental block for him last year. So Lambert Smith should be in position to, to take a step forward. Um, and they'll need it because Mike Yersich's offenses have had a 600-yard receiver in his last four years at Oklahoma State. And the reason I picked those four years out is because his first two years at Oklahoma State, it's easy to wonder how much influence Mike Gundy had. You know, uh, he's an offensive mind, wants to have his hands on the offense. Uh, so there were four years at the end that we – can feel pretty confident that Yurisich was, was, you know, at the controls completely. Uh, the year after that, he was at Ohio State as a passing game coordinator, not calling plays. And then last year, he was at Texas under Tom Herman, who, again, offensive guy, you wonder how much uh, control he retained of the offense and how much was actually Yurisich. So we have this, this four-year track record that we can point to uh, with, with Mike Yurisich uh, of, of him getting at least three receivers with 600 receiving yards. And so if that's going to be the case this year, Dotson and Washington are the obvious two. And then who's the third? Uh, is it Lambert Smith? Is it Theo Johnson? Is it, you know, does Cam Sullivan Brown or Daniel George finally put it together? I don't know, but I do think one of those guys has to step up this year. And one of them has to prove that they can be a reliable option for the offense. I think that, you know, this offense, I mean, it has to, <laughs> it has to get more like, like we said, I mean, how many times are we going to say it? until we're blue in the face. Um, but Clifford, of course, has to step up. And if Clifford doesn't step up and this offense isn't better, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they couldn't install as much, but some of it came down to mechanics. I mean, his mechanics got out of whack. And I mean, as an offensive line, you can't play great when your quarterback's stepping up into the pocket, but stepping right into, you know, defenders and making bad throws because of that. I mean, his he has to trust his eyes and not let his feet just go. You know, and a lot of times Sean Clifford did that last season um, where his feet would just go and then he's just like, bam, I'm trying to make a play out of nothing. And the whole time the offensive line has actually somewhat done their jobs. I'm not saying that they were perfect last year because they, you know, had they had – pretty significant issues themselves but when they did block well a lot of times Sean Clifford would take a step into defenders 
or he would try to make something that out of nothing. But, you know, that something, I mean, that nothing was still there at the end. You know, he was it wasn't like he was making anything out of it. So I, you know, to me, I'm looking at them and I'm like, okay, well, Clifford has to play better. How does he play better? By getting the ball out quicker. The, these receivers, I think you could get the ball out quicker to them. I think he needs to rely on, dump, you know, dumping the ball off. I mean, if you need to make the check down, make the check down. Don't, you know, I think too many quarterbacks get caught up. And I think this is one thing that I've, that I've hated about, you know, football of late is that so many people are just checking the box scores and then they're looking at yards per attempt. Oh, he, he was having a terrible game because his yards per attempt was, you know, 6.5. And maybe, you know, maybe it just took that. That's what it took that game. You know, maybe it took short passing to win the game. Um, and, you know, you don't always have to make those deep throws to to win. So I think sometimes that's what Sean Clifford needs to get better at doing. If it's third and six, you don't need to chuck the ball 50 yards downfield or try to chuck the ball 50 yards downfield. Or if it's third and four, just take the dump off. The dump off is going to get you the same result. You're going to get a first down, you know, or don't try to run for it if you see a guy wide open. And, and I think that's what's going to be the biggest difference for them. Well, and I think, I think you made an excellent point there with the, you know, exclusively looking at like yards per attempt and stuff like that, because really we should looking, be looking at the, the context in each one of these throws, right? What is the context each time he's dropping back and what do they need to happen by the end of that play? Sometimes they only need, as you mentioned, on third and four, they only need four yards. If there is a, you know, a, a, a six yard out route that's wide open uh, and Clifford takes a deep shot that's a little bit open and it falls incomplete, that's a mistake because you have what you need right in front of you and you can continue the drive and continue moving downfield. Now, if it's third and 17 and you have that dump off right in front of you, but it's clear that, you know, whoever catches it is going to get tackled right away because there's plenty of guys behind the play uh, or in front of the play still, then you then you want to take that deep shot, even if there's a lesser chance of you completing that pass. So I think that's really important. The context in all of these throws, all of these plays goes into each one and how you grade out what these guys look like and, and how they end up looking at the end of the year. Now, as you said, Clifford wasn't necessarily good in those situations last year. He was, uh, he was making, I don't want to say wrong decisions, but uh, less positive decisions, I guess, because Listen, if you have a guy slightly open downfield, trying to go to him isn't the worst thing in the world. But if you need three yards, you should probably try and get the three yards first. Um, and so I, I think he's got to be better there. And like you said, the the footwork and him running into his offensive lineman, I think, was a bigger issue than most people realize. He created several sacks last year that weren't there. Um, and I don't want to say he was seeing ghosts like Sam Darnold famously said on Monday Night Football. But it felt that way at times. It felt that, you know, he wasn't exactly comfortable back there, that he didn't know where to go, uh, that, that you know, his first or second read was, wasn't wide open. So he panicked a little. Uh, and then it led to his mechanics falling apart, led to his footwork falling apart, and led to bad throws. So, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot for Sean Clifford to improve on. And I think there's reason to believe he could, especially with uh, Mike Yersich is, you know, the guy uh, that, that we've all made him out to be, quite frankly. You know, a, a guy that can create space for his wide receivers, that can create big windows for his quarterbacks. Because 
And the other part about this is you don't really need to be a game-breaking quarterback in college football. Having one helps, uh, but Mac Jones wasn't, and I know he just got named the start of the Patriots and people will run with this when I say it, but like he wasn't exactly a game-breaker last year. He was just picking his spots and moving his team down the field. We, we've watched guys like John Parker Wilson do that for years in Alabama, right? Like that kind of quarterback that just moves the ball name. little by little. That, that's a throwback. I haven't heard his name in a long time. Contemplated Parker Wilson or McElroy went with Parker Wilson. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, the, the upside to that is, like, if you have a good team around you, you can just be really good. And but what about John David years. Booty? Uh, honestly, that was the other name that popped into mind. I can't yeah. remember how good those USC teams were, though, so I left it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's but no, awesome. the, 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 those guys, like, they just have talent around them, right? And they just may do with what they had, and their coaches didn't ask them to do too much. And I'm not saying Penn State asked Clifford to do too much last year. I think sometimes Clifford was trying to force himself to do too much when he didn't need to, so – uh, they should be better in a passing game this year. The million-dollar question, as you said, is just how much better. Let's move to the run game with them. Uh, we don't have to spend nearly as much time at this because they're very good at it. What are you looking for with the rushing attack uh, this weekend for Penn State against Wisconsin? I'm looking for them to just get get creative with the way that they use their running backs. I, I think, um, you know, two running back sets are always a good idea if, um, you know, that's something that you can do. You have two guys – I mean, and plus, since they have five guys at this point, you could get—I mean, you could get so creative with this. I mean, we we see that Clifford Clifford has some athleticism, you know. So for me, I'm I'm like, okay, well, do we want to get do we want to get a little bit of option involved? Um, you know, do we get a little creative with that? Do we, you know, get these guys out on screens? Um, we all love to see a good screen. Um, and then, and then also too, I mean, the way you're using these guys, cause I mean, if you want to use Lee or four, if you want to use Ford to like speak, run circles around these guys. And then when you you're done running circles around them, you start pounding them with Kane and love it. Or if you want to just pound them to death and then you want to start running circles around them. I mean, you could do that. They have so many guys that they can use to differentiate the way that they play football. And I think that's such a big deal for them going into yeah. this game. Yeah, and, and I think while Penn State is suited well to run the ball, Wisconsin is suited well to defend the run, right? Uh, in the passing game, I didn't mention this earlier, but you know they have Fayon Hicks who, will, who told me in July that he plans on shadowing Jahan Dotson. We'll see if that remains true. Uh, Dotson said he's looking forward to that matchup earlier today when we spoke to him. But in the run game, they got a bunch of guys, right? Like this is a Wisconsin football team. They have a big athletic front seven who can beat you up up front uh, and they will take advantage of if you make mistakes as an offensive line. So Penn State's offensive line needs to be on point from that standpoint. They can't be missing assignments. They need that chemistry we mentioned earlier. They need to be working together and cohesively. Um, but but you nailed it with the running backs. They've just got so many options here. They can sort of do this how they want. And I think it's going to be interesting to see because James Franklin said previously that they want three running backs uh, on a given game day to be out there playing. And I'm very interested to see which three they go with. Of course, we don't have a depth chart, so we kind of can't make that assertion now. Um, I, I It seems clear that Noah Kane's the guy, right, like that they're going to lean on. Uh, and it seems – I, I would guess that John Lovett has some rule. Um, I find it, it generally hard for me to believe a guy transferred in without knowing he was going to have some role going uh, into his final year in college. Um, and then the last spot I think is really interesting because it's where you have Kazai Holmes, Kevon Lee, and Devin Ford. 
And with a team like Wisconsin, you might be better off just having more skill overlap here and going with Kevon Lee as your third back along with Kane and Lovett because they're the three most physical and they're the three biggest running backs, right? They can help wear down what is already a very strong Wisconsin defense. That being said, you may also want to beat that defense with speed. And I think in the passing game, because Ia Holmes can be really helpful there, I think he's still clearly the best receiver of the group. Um, we don't get to see a lot of these guys in pass protection, so it's tough to say, but you, you can see at least when they're working with the ball in space, because Ia Holmes is that guy for this group. Um, so I think they could go several ways with this week one, and I think we're going to see it matchup by matchup what they do. Um, and and I'm, I'm very curious to see the, the running backs they decide to go with, because like you said, they have options, and Wisconsin is going to present them with a bunch of different looks, right? Like Jim Leonard is an excellent defensive coordinator, turned down the Packers defensive coordinator job this past off season uh, to stay in Wisconsin. I think pretty universally uh, revered as a future head coach uh, and clearly an NFL defensive coordinator, if he wanted the gig, but I, th I think he's going to, you know, try and make life difficult for Noah Kane. They're going to try and make it difficult for him to grind out those three and four yard runs. And if that's the case, maybe we see a little more of it. Maybe we see a little more of, uh, of homes and, and then they try and get those guys in space and get them operating because I tell you what, running downhill headfirst into Wisconsin generally doesn't work all that well. Yeah, it really doesn't. And, you know, it, it we always talk about how a lot of times uh, players kind of play like how their coaches coach. Um, I think that Wisconsin is going to play like how, Jim Leonard played. <laughs> I, I'm way too familiar with the way that Jim Leonard played, and he played with reckless abandon. Um, you know, always attacked, went downhill. Um, that's the kind of defense that Wisconsin has. I mean, Wisconsin, they play like they have fire coursing through their veins um, on a on the defensive side of the football. Um, you know they're going to come out physical. You know they're going to come out um, playing tough, um, and that's just who they are. I mean we we have to we have to realize that like you know they're not they're not going to be sleeping. I can tell you that. Um, not with as as talented as this defense has been in the past. Um, I I mean I only expect good things to come for them, um, but I know it's going to be a tough game because of their defense. Yeah, and the the thing that, that we didn't mention here yet is, uh, and James Franklin talked about this earlier, is that Wisconsin plays a lot of man. Uh, and listen, if you have Jahan Dotson and they're playing man coverage, you're going to have some chances. They really need Clifford to find those opportunities um, because them playing man means they should have the, the athletic advantage at almost every spot because while Fayon Hicks is very good, Jahan Dotson is just as good, if not better, and, and a better athlete. And I mean, we – we heard him say today the 4-3-3-40 yard dash is pretty absurd. Uh, we know that Penn State's testing numbers generally have come out accurate when compared to the combine. So uh, I don't gloss over a, a sort of program 40 yard dash like I would for most places like I do. Uh, or I don't gloss over Penn State's like I would most places, I should say, um, just because they've, they've generally been proven pretty close to true. So they're going to have matchups in man. Uh, them being in man uh, should, you know, make things a, a little tougher in the run game because – you know, they'll do what, and James Franklin referenced this earlier, they'll do a lot of green dog blitzing, uh, which means when you see a running back is staying in to help with pass protection, that whoever's responsible for them in coverage also attacks. So then suddenly you've added a guy to the pass rush. 
Um, and generally when you add a, uh, you know, a, a pass rusher face in the, the guy, the offense is added to the pass protection is a running back. That's advantage defense. So we'll see how they attack that. We'll see how uh, Penn state does with the ball. Like we both said with, with the passing game, this, you know, it's, we can talk about Wisconsin all we want uh, within their pass defense, but really it's about Clifford and, and how many steps he's taken forward if he's taken any steps forward. But let's move on to when Wisconsin has the ball then. We, we saw that, uh, you know, uh, Ches Malusi uh, is, has been named starting running back. We know Graham Mertz is going to start at quarterback. Um, I, I believe Danny Davis will be back at wide receiver for this game. They, they have a talented offense. What are your expectations when Wisconsin has the ball? Listen, keep in mind, we – you and I both know Paul Christ is the head coach of this team. He's calling this offense. They're going to run the ball a lot. But outside of Wisconsin trying to hammer the ball down Penn State's throat, what do you expect from this uh, this matchup? Yeah, I think Wisconsin, they're going to use that play action a ton. I mean, everybody expects them to run the ball, right? So I, th- I think they're going to get really uh, – they're going to they're gonna go strong with the play action. I think the play action is, you know, that key, will Penn State play aggressively and try to bite up? Or will Penn State go and, you know, try to play them back a little bit and be a little bit more tentative? But, um, you know, I, I think I think that that's how you have to get Penn State off of their rocker. Um, do you make them blitz? And then next thing you know, the ball gets dropped over to the to the receiver. Um, you know, they, they're being aggressive. And then you have so many guys trying to come downfield. And then next thing you know, here we are. You know, and they're way downfield beating Penn State on, you know, at the point of attack. Um, and I, I I think that's one thing that we have to consider is that they will, I mean, Wisconsin's going to play hard <laughs> consistently. I mean, we talk about Graham Mertz. I mean, we could talk about all the other guys that they have. I mean, I, I think having, you know, they, what is it? They have uh, three senior receivers three seniors on the offensive line too. I mean, this is a very senior leading squad, um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, having Graham Mertz as well, that's going to be, it's going to be a scary thing. Cause I, I think, you know, if, if Graham Mertz shows that he is as talented as, as I think he could be, I mean, he's a, to me, he's an NFL quarterback as is, but I, I think he'll, um, you know, he could really, bring up his stock um depending on what happens in the next year so I mean he's a talented guy yeah and and I think Mertz is kind of the difference maker in this offense right like we've seen in Paul Chris's offense we've seen in Wisconsin's offense uh they like to run the ball uh they you know they they lean on the passing game when they need to they run it every other opportunity Uh, and you mentioned play action can can come into play big time especially with a veteran wide receiver group that can sell a pass block and get downfield quickly. Um, I, I do think Mertz is probably their best quarterback uh, since Russell Wilson, I would say. Um, and that's not necessary. I'm not necessarily damning with faint praise here, but they also haven't had that great of quarterbacks um, since then, but he is an actually, you know, he's a legitimate NFL quarterback, like you said, uh, in the long run. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he handles this environment because he was a freshman last year. They didn't play in front of fans. I, I would assume this is his first time playing in front of a packed camp Randall. So while that's usually an issue for the away team, it might actually be an issue for the, you know, for the home quarterback a little bit because he's not used to that experience. So uh, I, I think that's something to sort of monitor in this situation. 
but the the other thing that's surprising is that they named Ches Malusi the starter, as I mentioned, over Jalen Berger. Berger, who played last year, uh, carried the full workload, I believe, for three games. Um, if not the full workload, carried a decent workload uh, against Indiana, Northwestern, and Michigan. Three good defenses. Had 15 carries in all three games. Had 87 yards uh, against Michigan, 93 against Northwestern, and 87 against Indiana. He struggled against Wake Forest in the bowl game. I understand that, but to come in and get unseated, you know, as a as a sophomore, uh, well, technically still a freshman uh, because of the the eligibility rule the NCAA passed, but coming in his second year and, and sort of losing that job to to Malusi, who transferred in from Clemson, I think might say more about Malusi than it does about Berger, right? Like if if Malusi is this good and he can he can overtake Jalen Berger that quickly, then I would guess that they have something very good on their hands with both of those backs. Um, and I would guess that Malusi is, is going to come out and play really well this weekend. Now for Penn State, uh, they have a strong interior of their defensive line anchored by P.J. Mustafer. Uh, who's going to be next to him remains to be seen. I would guess you see rotation of Derek Tangelo and, and Fred Hansard and, and Hakeem Beeman and, and frankly a bunch of guys because of uh, you know how much Wisconsin is going to be running the ball and wearing them down. But their defensive line should be able to hold up how do you feel about Penn State's front seven and their ability to play against the run this weekend? Oh, I think their front seven is uh, built to last. I mean, we we talked a little bit about the linebackers already, as is, um, you know, that defensive front. Of course, we discussed um, having P.J. Mustafer there, Fred Hanser, Nick Tarburton, and, you know, so many others, uh, Derek Tangelo. Um, I think that they are the biggest guys that, I mean, literally the biggest guys, uh, you know, Abiketti, um, it, it seems to me that they have, I mean, these guys have to be the ones that set the tone, right? Of course, the linebackers, I think, as is with Curtis, with Ellis Brooks, with uh, Brandon Smith, I think all three of them will be, will be up for the challenge. Um, you know, the defensive line, I, I think that's where they have to make their they have to make it known that like look, we're for real. Even though we've we have a we have a few we have an injury, even though we aren't at uh you know a hundred percent, you know, go ahead and uh attack. You know, we'll we'll see a ton of uh Jesse Lucetta for sure, I think. I think he's gonna I mean if they wouldn't have I don't think you just bring in a guy and say Hey, can you play two positions if you're not going to use them? You know, and I, I think maybe, like you said, maybe this isn't the game where you use him as a uh, as a defensive end as much. But you know, maybe you could get creative and you send them out in a package. So that's how you set the tone. Um, and I think this fr- the front seven that Penn State has right now, they have to set the tone. Yeah, and and I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, James Franklin said earlier today that there will be weeks when Luketa practices mostly at linebacker. There will be weeks he practices mostly at defensive end. Um, now, what he does this week, we don't know yet. We get to see practice tomorrow. I think that's going to be something we sort of monitor for where he's at and who he's working with. Uh, because I do think putting him at linebacker in this game could be helpful because you want more size. And, you know, he's a big linebacker. Um, and he can he can play well against the run. He's big, physical. He's confident. He you know, isn't uh, he, he's not going to second guess himself out on the football field. When you want a guy attacking, attacking a hole, you want him doing it with conviction. 
because these guys are going to be tough to bring down. And also there's going to be some pulling guards that destroy him on occasion. You don't want him to lose that confidence when that happens. Um, but yeah, I, I think where Luketa ends up this week is going to be very interesting. Splitting time at defensive end and linebackers, not necessarily easy. Um, it, it isn't necessarily going to maximize him at either spot, but I think it can be beneficial for him in the long run uh, and beneficial for the team in the long run, because he could play both spots at this level and the next level potentially. Um, but yeah, the, the size they have at linebacker, especially with, you know, if Luquette is there with Brandon Smith, who is just, by the way, I mean, just ridiculous how big and physical and strong Brandon Smith is at this point. We watched him basically detonate someone against Idaho in his first career game. Uh, those will, uh, those who saw it will remember the CJ Thorpe gift that came from it, uh, when he got on his knees and looked like he was praying after, uh, or having an out of body experience, I should say, after, uh, Smith laid the hit against Idaho, but. You know, if, if that's the version of Smith that, that's showing up Saturday, that big, physical, aggressive guy, uh, you know, he should be able to cause cause problems uh, for Wisconsin. He should be able to cause problems in the run game and the pass game, which then takes us to the secondary, right? Like we both said Graham Mertz is the best quarterback Wisconsin's had in a while. How much will it matter, though, if their senior receivers are struggling to get open? And I think that could be the case this weekend. Um, Penn State can go three deep, in, in my my eyes anyways, they have three guys that I think are going to be very good outside corners. They potentially have more. We just haven't seen a lot of Johnny Dixon, quite frankly, to know that. Um, but I feel pretty confident saying that Tariq Castro Fields, Joey Porter Jr. are both excellent outside corners and that Kalen King is on his way there if he's not there already. Uh, so you have guys that can contend with them on the outside. Uh, they have some options in the slot. They have safeties and, uh, you know, Jaquan Brisker, who one of the best safeties in the country, right, uh, against the run and the pass. Uh, and then whoever starts next to him, it, it seems like, you know, the, there are a couple guys vying for that spot, whether, whether it's Tig Brown or, or Keaton Ellis or whoever. Uh, I would venture to guess you'd want a more physical guy in there for this game just because of the matchup. So we'll see who that is. But this is a secondary that should contend well with, with Wisconsin. And if that's the case, if they can keep these guys covered and give their pass rush time, because we know the pass rush isn't going to be as good as we thought it was a few months ago when, we knew Adisa Isaac, or we thought Adisa Isaac was going to play anyways. And, you know, now it comes out that he has an undisclosed injury that he suffered away from football this offseason. That's putting a lot of pressure on Arnold Abiquetti to get pressure. Um, so the ability to cover and allow Brandon Smith to blitz, allow Curtis Jacobs to blitz, allow Luketa and Ellis Brooks to blitz is important. You need that back four to stick with their guys and to, and to stay in coverage and a lot of, not allow guys to get open to do that. So um, we'll see if they can do it. I tend to think they can. Um, but yeah, this is, like you said, this is a veteran Wisconsin group though. And anytime you're, you're facing a bunch of savvy veterans in your first game, they might pull one over on you. It, it's, I mean, it's going to be, I hate to put it this way because I don't want, I don't want people to be like, geez, but you know, it's going to be blood stains on people's shirts <laughs> this game. I mean, this is the type of game that. It is. I mean, Wisconsin, Penn State is always a physical, tough game, and and it's rough. I mean, guys, uh, you know, going after one another. That that. I mean, it's old school football. You know, we we talk we talk so much about, you know, the Big Ten being this big physical conference. I mean, this is quintessential Big Ten football right here. So I, I think Penn State they have to come out swinging, punching. I mean, defense has to set the tone. I mean, 
the D, I mean, they're on defense first. I think Penn State has a great chance of winning this game just because you know the defense is going to go out there and and set the tone. They want to they want to be edgy. They want to be able to go and attack. And I think that's what you know we always talk about with their defenses. You know how deep they are, how um, you know physical they are, how you know versatile they are. I mean, all of those things matter in this match matchup. And I think. You know, they have it. Well, yeah, and, and one thing uh, Jim Leonard said on Monday, which I think is an important note about Brent Pry's defenses in the past, is that they're they're clearly smart defenses. They're well-schemed, but they also let guys play, right? Like, they let them play freely and let their athleticism show up, let their traits show up, let their instincts go, um, and and sort of just play football. And, and I think that's, you know, a crucial aspect of all Penn State defenses and will probably be a crucial aspect of this one. The inverse of what you said, of course – is if Wisconsin does get the ball first, like you said, and walks down the field for a touchdown, then you might feel like you're in a little bit of trouble, right? Because it's an offense that doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily beaming with confidence after last year. And then you just saw your defense get walked down on and things can go haywire really quickly. Um, so I, I think it, that, uh, you know, there, there are two sides of that coin and it could go in very different directions very quickly. Um, either way, a lot of these guys playing in front of a packed crowd for the first time at Camp Randall, I think is going to be a pretty awesome experience to behold. It's going to probably cause some nerves, nerves for the players. I know I'm very excited to see it, uh, but we may as well go on the record with our predictions. Now uh, I will, I will go with mine first since I, I believe I made you predict the team record first last time. So I'll fall on that sword first this time. Uh, I am taking Wisconsin 24 to 17. And as you can tell by me projecting Penn state to score 17 points, this is basically about a lack of confidence in the offense and not necessarily a lack of confidence in it, I guess, as much as a, you know, I, I would like to see them prove it before you, you sort of predict anything else, right? Like it's hard to envision Sean Clifford being the guy at that level when, when we haven't seen the player that he you know, needs to be since 2019. That being said, if he plays like that quarterback, I think they might win by two touchdowns, uh, but he has to play like that in the first place. So, if he can get to that point, I think it's an excellent chance for Penn State to start out 1-0 and to really get rolling and potentially go through a very difficult stretch 3-0. If he comes out flat uh, and looking like the Sean Clifford of 2020, I think it could be a um, – it could be – it could be there could be some rough sledding ahead for Penn State uh, in 2021. Uh, but let's hear it. I took Wisconsin 24-17. Who do you got? What's the score and why? I have Penn State 27-24. Um, and, and part of the reason why I have Penn State 27-24 is because I think that these teams will be pretty much evenly matched. It just comes down to who is going to have the last possession, in my opinion. Um, I, I think that, you know, if Penn State gets that last possession, and I know this sounds like such a cop-out, <laughs> but I, I think when Penn State gets that last possession, because they, I think that running game, makes all the difference and they'll be able to whittle this clock down, especially at the end when it's 24, 24. Um, I think that they can, you know, run, they run Pentagon on the field and uh, you know, he knocks down that kick. So I think that's what it all comes down to. I think time of possession is the most important thing. Wisconsin is usually better at keeping time of possession against teams that, can't run the ball as well as they can, but I think Penn State can run the ball just as well as Wisconsin can. So 
I think that's where it comes at. What it comes down to is just time of possession and who gets that ball last. I think Penn State, because they have five guys who, you know, are all different kinds of running backs, I think they could start wearing down on that defense, allows them to attack over the top to get Jahan Dotson the ball, to get Theo Johnson the ball, um, and uh, get uh, Brenton Strange and Parker Washington the ball. So I think that's where you get that W at. I think that's a valid point. Uh, I think if Wisconsin is going to win that time of possession battle, which they generally do, Penn State better win the explosive plays then, right? Like they better be beating them over the top and be scoring pretty quickly. Um, But yeah, split decision from us. I am picking Wisconsin. You are picking Penn State. I do think it is more likely that I look stupid for this next week because I do think there's a chance that Penn State's offense looks really good. So there's my cop out already calling out myself for looking stupid uh, before it actually happens. Uh, but that should wrap things up for us then. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Lions Layer. You can find all of Kyle and I's work for the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com. You can subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast, uh, where you can get access to all of Kyle and I's work at a discounted rate. Uh, read all of our sports stories or the preps from, or from uh, Kyle, you know, other Penn State athletics from Kyle or me with Penn State football and men's basketball. Um, you can you can find both of us on Twitter, Kyle at Kyle J Andrews underscore and me at John Sauber. Um, you know, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends, tell other Penn State fans about the pod. Uh, you know, we, we would love to gather more listeners, get some feedback. Uh, you can reach me at email at jsauber at centerdaily.com, Kyle at kandrews at centerdaily.com. We've got a bunch of good stuff, right, on the website. We've got a bunch of good preview stuff. We're going to have a, another roundtable this week predicting the team's record. Kyle and I put out our Big Ten predictions last week. Um, we put we put out roundtables all preseason. Kyle and I have done stories on, you know, the offensive line, the running backs, the the wide receivers, the defense, the offense. Sean Clifford, um, all of it. I have a you know a, a story coming up this week that I, I think you all enjoy this Thursday. So be on the lookout for that on CenterDaily.com. Um, Kyle doing an excellent excellent job on our preps coverage uh, every Friday night with football. He'll he'll be doing that throughout the season. I'm sure he'll continue that fantastic work. Uh, But thanks for tuning in and have a great day.